Welcome back to the Spinner Rack here at the New Marvel New Universe Comics Podcast. We're your hosts, Stephen, with Mark Hazard Merck, number four, and Andy, covering Kickers, Inc., number four. New Universe was a self-contained universe and imprint from Marvel Comics started by Jim Shooter in 1986 with the launch of eight new ongoing titles to celebrate Marvel's 25th anniversary. It was intended to be more realistic without magic, aliens, or secret histories. We're two chemists and comics readers who are reading through the new universe two books a week in the order they were released, describing them and commenting as we go. We'll also give the advertising copy from Marvel Age Magazine number 46, which were all the previews available. Yeah, that's all we got. And they're often wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were. They were indeed. Um, so yeah, so this week I'll be covering Kickers Inc., which is our group of football playing heroes for hire. Uh, off-season football pro football players led by Jack Magnaconti, who had who gains superhuman strength, speed, and invulnerability after the white event at the cost of his sleazy scientist brother's life. <laughs> sort of. Um, so this week will a pro football game end in murder? Murders. As it looks like it will. Why will Kickers Inc. be the cause? the and this week i'll be covering well let's see the yeah the the creative team always ends in murder (laughs) (laughs) creative team is uh well we'll discuss later yeah and this week i'll be discovering mark i'll be covering mark hazard merck who is a Vietnam veteran turned soldier of fortune whose mercenary lifestyle has cost him the love of his family but they're still alive. Yes. This week, the rescue of his best friend's daughter from a street gang turns Mark Hazard into a target, not only of the street gang, but his best friend too. The stunning reason why is found in Friends. Not the TV show. (laughs) And and there's no street gang. Yeah, this... uh, I haven't looked ahead, but I think this might be actually work for the next issue. Yeah. But for this issue, it's not it completely misses the mark. Yeah. Wrong writer too, right? Yeah, that's the thing. I think he starts next uh, something. Yeah. But, I, um, I kind of skipped it, but Kickers was supposed to be written by Tom DeFalco, though he did do the plot for this one. He definitely did not write it. And the penciling was not by Ron. Penciling by committee, I believe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, And we'll also have a discussion about our beloved Mr. Magnificent and comparing and contrasting him with Captain America and the Golden Age Superman. Right. Which one is stronger? No. (laughs) Who's going to be the last man standing? Cage match time? Is that what we're looking at here? We have to get Marvel and DC friends again in order to combine the the three universes. You know, we could do the Amalgam comics after we cover the new universe. There's only like eight of those or something. We should do that. I think that I I like 
honestly, the idea of the, the three-man showdown between Magna Conti, Captain America, and Superman, because you could totally just annoy everybody if Mr. Magnificent just whipped up on all of them. <laughs> <laughs> if it's, you know, if you're writing the book, you can make it end how you want. He's got the Kryptonite Super, uh, the Kryptonite Super Bowl ring. <laughs> it just socks Superman in the stomach. <laughs> Uh, oh, look over there, Steve Rogers. What? Wham! <laughs> sucker punch. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, like, uh, I'm imagining Superman versus Muhammad Ali, I think, was a giant size by Neil Adams. Anyway. Yeah. Never actually read that one. Wouldn't Superman just like knock his head off or something? There's, there's, there was some reason to, to lay love. I'm sure they came up with some way to level the playing field right uh i presumed to also but you know sometimes you you make a bruises out of you and me to do that so. mm. <laughs> interesting all right so let's do, let's i i'm my brain really wants me to make more like kick it off puns with kickers inc but i guess i just did so <laughs> the brain wins. kick it into gear with kickers inc <laughs> Sorry, you can use that one. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to keep it PG. Only butts have been kicked. <sighs> All right, Kicker's Inc. number four. I'm not going to lose my clean rating for Kicker's Inc. <laughs> yeah, well, we thought it was kid-friendly. I'm not sure it's kid-friendly. Um, yeah, so Kicker's Inc. four. Uh, we've got some football going on on the cover here so there's a there's a whole nother team uh we find them out to be uh, the austin wreckers later on um uh, we've got this big strong dude number 76 kind of uh, boarding over half stepping on uh, some poor new york's masters player uh as a, a helpless jack magna conti is kind of rushing in as people are holding him back um uh, so no murder, but maybe. <laughs> anyway. I'm gonna say the the cover there. For some reason, most of the uh, covers this month, you can barely make out the face of the protagonist. So that um, Jack um, screaming there is is actually a very good full face, which is amazing. yeah, it's a pretty well done cover. Yeah, it's. Certainly dramatic pose from yeah, not the best art, but it's definitely got a, a nice, uh, nice frame up. Uh, so yeah, so our issue is in fact then called Cry Vengeance. Uh, we got Tom DeFalco credited for the plot, Terry Cavanaugh credited for the script, Ron Altaville for assist with the <laughs> script. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what that means. So, <laughs> Terry wrote it and Ron transcribed it. And then we got Howard Bender with the layouts, Art Nichols with the finished art, <laughs> then letters, color editor, Jim Shooter, editor in chief. So there's a really long list of people who worked on this issue. It was a team effort. Which is, I don't know, that's about as good as we can get, I guess. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, the art overall is a little inc inconsistent, uh, but it's not uh, game breaking, I would say. We start off basically um, 
with Jack exercising and Suicide Smythe kind of walking in on him as instead of using the bench press machine, he's basically like bench pressing the bench press machine. <laughs> um, we get some date here though as well. Uh, it's today's August 6th, 1986, opening day for exhibition season. Uh, in the NFL, we'd call that preseason, uh, but they've got other things on their mind. Uh, apparently Suicide Smythe is a full-blown white guy now though. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if they overcolored him the first two issues. I would have just rolled with it if I were in issue one. <laughs> but okay. <laughs> uh, okay. I, yeah. Nothing we can do about it. Nothing we can do about it. Um, but yeah, so, so he walks in and is like, what's going on there? Uh, Jack basically explains that you know, he's, he's trying, to, trying to wear himself out, right? So he's got this super strength and vulnerability right it makes football too easy for him so yeah apparently this season one of the things he's trying to do is just if he tires himself out then uh that might uh, bring up the challenge for him kind of level the playing field right he's both concerned about uh being a, un a little unfair but also you know like he doesn't want to be bored <laughs> that was part of the problem last time not that he was uh cheating but because he was kind of tired of it being so easy for him. Um, but yeah, so, also, oh, go ahead. He has a, also a, but what if I hurt somebody on the field? Uh, <laughs> All right, so Smashers Stadium, uh, later in the day, I guess, you know, we've got uh, Coach Kirby, who is, uh, as you mentioned, kind of basically like a drill sergeant to Jack Kirby. <laughs> um, uh, basically kind of rounding up the team. Uh, so telling them that they all need to get drug tests and then maybe also in the future steroid tests, uh, which is kind of freaking out Jack a little bit because although he's not on drugs or steroids, you know, they very well could figure out that he's got his edge as he calls it um i like that he's threatening them for insubordination with a 200 dollars fine <laughs> i feel like even with inflation that's probably not a whole lot for a professional football player <laughs> yeah the, the kickers is really in a transitional time between like football players being not very well paid at all um and becoming mega rich celebrities um so i don't know yeah how, how accurate anything like that would be yeah it may very well be um so yeah so was it? sorry oh good so we're warming up for the game uh magna conti throws a pass uh to dasher who's their wide receiver but it gets kind of uh snagged by rookie wide receiver billy hawkins he was introduced in a previous issue as like a super friendly uh, but maybe competition for Dasher in his position is their number one draft pick kind of thing. Um, and then we get introduced to uh, the other team takes the field. Uh, these are the Wreckers, and they've got a bad reputation for being a dirty team. And you've got ugly Mac Thornton. You'll know him when you see him. Even the other Wreckers avoid him when they can. <laughs> so mean-looking, uh, bald-headed black man with a mustache who... Does nothing but grimace, I guess. It's a pretty good 
I, I sort of thought this was maybe the Oakland Raiders from the 70s or 80s. I... Yeah, I mean, it could be a lot, a lot of the teams were pretty dirty, like the Steelers, the Raiders. Yeah. Okay. I'm thinking Raiders um, who <laughs> take the field and like beat up, basically all kind of crash into and, and crunch one of their own players, <laughs> smash their, kill the rookie is what they said. <laughs> Yikes. Um, but yeah, coach gives him a pep talk and they, they get started again. This is only preseason, preseason game. It does not count. Um, so we get some football action. Suicide gets tackled uh, behind the line. You know, kind of like a rough late hit is what they imply. Um, you know, they're dialing up their next play, you know, a long pass to, uh, do, 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 do. Let's see. So Hawkins is on is on the field, uh, but so is Dasher. Throws a long pass. It bounces off Dasher Corbin's hands, you know, right through his fingertips. Uh, in previous issues, they kind of had set up that you know maybe he's uh, going through some confidence issues and maybe dropping a couple passes and such. So here it's starting to happen in real games. Uh, the the rookie comes up to him. He's like, "Don't worry, you got this, man." And like in Dasher said, he's like, you better be quiet or I'm going to kill you. <laughs> so he's like breaking some unwritten rules there, perhaps. Yeah. Up to this point, Hawkins has been this, you know, as you say, competition and also kind of a comedy. I would, I keep thinking, hearing this like amazing kiss ass, you know, kind of voice yeah. coming out of him Everything's whenever he says, silly. yeah, that's a great idea, coach. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Well, sure, you know. Billy. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like, yeah, take it down a notch there, buddy. Um, he was their number one draft pick, I think they said, too. Yeah. Now, if they won the championship last season, then their number one draft pick would be, like, the last number one draft pick. So he's not necessarily, like, a star dude, I guess. I don't know. Oh, okay. Anyway, so they, they dial up the same play again. This time he throws it uh, to Billy, uh, Billy Hawkins, the rookie catches it scores the touchdown but crunch like a late hit by uh oh what's the ugly guy's name uh ugly thornton um and we hear a snap and so the very next panel after this late hit is a stretcher in the shadows going <laughs> into an ambulance so ooh, <laughs> not so good um so within minutes he's all carted off the field uh, and so Mr. Magnificent's raging. He's like, they're laughing. And like the whole team, uh, or ugly Thornton and his teammates are all just laughing at the injury. Uh, this poor kid is, we will find out later, paralyzed. Uh, so he rushes them, basically flings another football player out of the way, like <laughs> toilet paper. <laughs> out of the way! Right, but the ref kind of, blows a whistle and, and it kind of snaps him back into reality. So he doesn't take off Thornton's head. Um, you know, they get him to kind of back off and back down. Um, but yeah, that, that's all we get of that game uh, in, until uh, we get Mr. Magnificent uh, waking up with the night sweats, uh, you know, dreaming about how things went down. And yeah, I, I looked this up. So I, I was sure there were some dirty players in the 80s, like if, if not most of them, because <laughs> football was pretty different. 
Um, and what I settled on was like, this is a, an exact play by play kind of borrow from what happened with Jack Tatum, who was a Raiders player uh, in a preseason game against the Patriots, uh, had a nasty hit and uh, uh, paralyzed a player named Daryl Stingley. Um, and yeah, he was like almost a quadriplegic afterwards. And uh, Tatum was a good player, like Pro Bowl player. Um, you know, he you know, didn't really have any, uh, there was no downside to him. He, he went on and continued having a successful career, uh, never, never expressing any remorse for what he did. Uh, apparently he also wrote a book uh, where he named himself The Assassin as his nickname. <laughs> Uh, but this was the Raiders in like the John Madden years, actually, like when he was the coach. Um, nasty time, I guess, though. But yeah, there was there was a list of possibilities. But um, you know, there was a guy who slammed uh, Jim McMahon, like the Bears quarterback. Oop. And uh, what was his name? Charles Martin, uh, who was kind of an interesting character as well there. Uh, but that, that was, I think, you know, it was definitely borrowed from that Patriots anecdote. Uh, interestingly enough, um, I guess, you know, in interviews later, like John Madden, um, after the game was over, like rushed right over to the hospital to visit him, like to, to you know, to, to say sorry, you know, uh, see how he was. Um, and none of the other teams, so like none of the injured players, teammates, coaches, anything were at the hospital with him. Like he was expecting, like he'd go there and, you know, like a bunch of Patriots players would be there to support him and stuff, but no, like he was the only one that, sh that showed up. Um, Weird. yeah. Right. Like it's kind of unimaginable, uh, no teammates, no nothing. And, uh, supposedly then like throughout like the rest of the guy's life, like Madden look, looked out for him. Like he would visit him because he was in a hospital in California. He like gave him money and like use, use of a car and helped out his family and his girlfriend. And, you know, just must have just really felt awful about it. Wow. Not so much the guy who actually heard him. Interesting. But yeah, yeah. definitely borrowed from that story. If it's, it's basically that story. This is, uh, it's all news to me. So. Yeah. Well, if I can contribute anything to the podcast, it's uh, some bit of football knowledge. <laughs> yeah. But that was a little before my time. I would have been like pretty young when that happened. Yeah. Actually, no, I think that that Tatum injury was like late 70s. So definitely. Yeah, yeah. For that. Whereas the guy slamming Jim McMahon was 1986. So that, that could have been something also that kind of put it into people's minds. Oh, yeah. I mean, Everybody. ripped ripped right from the headlines. That's how I yeah. imagine they wrote a lot of the new universe. Yeah, because I oh, think I got a story due tomorrow. Uh, give me that newspaper, <laughs> man. I gotta look for something. Yeah, because I think the one the the Bears quarterback thing that was the piece where like the guy actually had some consequences. Like they started like fining and you know, uh, you know, banning the players for a couple games after those sort of nastinesses. And I think most Bears fans think that if that hadn't happened, they probably would have won the Super Bowl that year. But it really like messed him up. But anyway, enough football aside, right? <laughs> Well, I think 
you know, the, the, the players are mostly like, I can't believe there was no penalty on that play, Jack. It's as if like the penalty flag is the thing that they're like most concerned about. Dude, yeah. I can't believe you, you paralyzed a guy and didn't get a penalty for it. Yeah, we should have at least got 15 yards, man. <laughs> it's, Where's my yards? Um, yeah, I don't know. As, as I think, to paraphrase is what you said in the last issue, um, uh, Scooby-Doo doesn't have people's spine severed and paralyzed for life. So, <laughs> again. At least not in any of the episodes I've watched. Uh, so, so, so Jack is in the next day, or maybe not the next day, so August 27th, normally tranquil suburban residents of Jack and Darlene, uh, so he's waking up, he's having nightmares about the injury, uh, so here's where we learn that he's been paralyzed from the waist down for the rest of his life, you know, the kid was only 22 years old, um, you know, and basically, you know, Darlene is kind of trying to talk him down from taking revenge on the guy um you know cut to the next morning uh where the press is interviewing jack and they want to ask him about it because as it turns out after the preseason's over they play the wreckers again for the first game of the season so they're like hey what's this is going to be a grudge match what are you going to do about it uh the coach kind of jumps in uh, yells at everybody <laughs> it's like no more questions you know you know, basically just gets him away from the press uh, so he doesn't get uh, himself into trouble. Uh, then we get a bit of weirdness and a, a twist on the episode where, um, you know, the coach is criticizing him for throwing passes too hard. He tosses him the football and, like, it pops. So all of a sudden it's got holes in it. Uh, and everybody's looking at a deflated football like, what the <laughs> heck? <laughs> As, as we, the readers, are also... Uh, yeah, totally lost. <laughs> what? We make sense of it later, but at this point, it was like, huh? <laughs> like, did he break it with his super strength? Like... But yeah, that's the first thought. Like, he was angry, and but his hands aren't anywhere near it. It's just... Pops no, and we're in midair. midair. <laughs> so, yeah, so, you know, but... After practice, the team's going into the locker room, kind of just regular chatting, complaining. Uh, you get a nice shot of Jack in his underpants. Um, but in his locker, there's a little effigy of a Smashers player hung with a noose and a knife in it and a note. So someone's leaving him nasty notes. <laughs> uh, uh, and, and Jack is white, if we didn't mention this before. So he doesn't. Uh think anything of like the noose as uh, a particular yes. threat um other than you know threat of death yeah it's just <laughs> it's a, death it's not a it's, racist threat of death yeah it's not a racist threat of death just <laughs> just a regular threat of death <laughs> it's uh, a new yeah new a effigy with a noose and a knife through it to make sure you got the uh, yeah so he, he thought at first there was a joke from the teammates and he's like sorry my mistake it's a little gift from the fist gang right so this is way back when they were in the inner city rescuing the old lady's rose garden, right? From the robot, yes. And this fist gang who he uh, like basically annihilated the jaw of their leader. Um, but apparently they're sending him threatening locker room messages. And so 
color me surprised. I did not expect to see Fist back. Uh, I definitely expected to see them back. It seemed like, ooh, I'll get you next time kind of ending, I think, as, you, as, as their, their leader escaped. But anyway, so, um, yeah, thing with the ball and now this, it's, it's, just, it's just me thereafter. No sense telling the other guys. There's some serious football coming in, but it only distract them. So he decides to kind of keep it to himself for some reason. Um, At least yeah, Brick saw it. So yeah, know. Brick saw it too, but it wasn't really... Uh, well, yeah, no, he did, he did tell him it was from the Fist Gang as well. Uh, so anyway, it looks like then... Uh, later that night, they're going to like the Hard Rock Cafe or something like that. That's what I was thinking. I checked it did exist at the time. So, yeah. Okay. Well, there's the guitar on the walls and like some goofy car stuff. Uh, you know, teams, teams chatting, you know, kind of thinking about what to do. Um, not a whole lot of excitement in this panel. Da, 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 da. You know, they end up uh, a little bit worried about Dasher, who's kind of despondent. Uh, Jack confronts him about it. And, you know, so there he's wondering if he blame if he's blaming himself for what happened to the kid. Uh, but no, he just feels bad that he doesn't feel bad. Like he, he's got no, uh, no remorse, no sadness for Hawkins. He just thinks better him than me. And he's wondering if that's made him a terrible person. Uh, <laughs> Maybe it does. Probably it does. Um, but uh, this this makes Jack relieved. It like, sounds like you're just human, Dasher, with feelings and faults. You've nothing to be ashamed of. Um, and he picks him up like, you know, dirty dancing, kind of like, <laughs> raises him up in his arms, uh, kind of like, yay, Dasher, it's you're right okay. It's like, hey, don't mess with my coat. So kind of a, a goofy moment, but uh, anyway. So we kind of montage the end of the preseason. Uh, the rival uh, Smashers have won all of their preseason games, heading towards the grudge match. Uh, the team's kind of getting ready in the locker room. There's there's another football player. Uh, I don't think it's named some bearded rookie guy who's like, I just want to smash him. I want blood. <laughs> this guy is great. I kind of wish he got more screen time. He's, yeah. Uh, he looks a little bit like a rookie. He looks like he's 35. Yeah, totally. Like big, burly, bearded. Is know, it John Matusak or something? What's that? There was a the football player who went into acting. I'm trying to remember. He was the uh, guy in the Goonies. Mm, the Goonies? I know Bosworth, Brian Bosworth, tried to go into acting famously and kind of flamed out. No, this was a guy like he was, like he was all made up as one of the henchman or something um, mm, good question um so again we kind of move on from there uh everybody's getting ready for the game uh, more darlene and jack this time she is for some reason in a one-piece bathing suit for the whole scene but um and like a spandex leotard uh, sort of a workout outfit for aerobics maybe yeah so they're pretty clearly in the kitchen Anyway, oh, well, okay, never mind. <laughs> I think it's, it's just purely for eye candy. It's the only eye candy we get in this issue, so I just yeah. accept it, you know. It's just a bunch of burly visual costumes. medium. And... <laughs> yeah. 
so, so she wants to she's worried he's going to try and take revenge on the guy and she doesn't want him to, to be just like uh ugly thornton essentially um so yeah he's again he's, he's pissed off he wants to do something he's not quite sure what to do with it um he gets a prank phone call from the fist so like i love that they're like leaving nasty notes and prank pranking him on the phone like what kind of is your refrigerator running mr magnificent <laughs> uh, actually darlene was funny too where you're going um the bathroom <laughs> <sighs> and he breaks the phone just like oh, just a muscle spasm <laughs> so he's lying to everybody uh for some reason like just tell your wife man like she could probably help you out <laughs> So again, like he's, he's moralizing. He doesn't quite want, know what to do, but he knows he's got to do something for this guy who paralyzed this kid. Uh, he pretends that he's got to go, or uh, da, 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 da. yeah, he runs off to the office to pick out pick up some files, uh, basically just as an excuse to get out of the house. Um, conveniently, oh, Darlene. what's that? Darlene says. Uh... Uh, when, yeah, why don't you go, uh, who else is going to run Kickers Inc. now that my four grown partners are off playing football again? So basically, D Kickers Inc. is now being run by Darlene. No, ditched her to, <laughs> to go play football. Yeah. They're never going to let her go on missions again, are they? She was pretty good with a gun on that one, and issue two, too. Yeah, yeah. She laid down some covering fire pretty, pretty yeah. naturally. Socked a couple dudes. But anyway, so uh, he's trying to put together, he's both worried about what Fist's going to do and then feel like he needs to act. Um, he had his secretary dig up some dirt on Ugly Thornton, but just basically found out he's a, actually a dude with a family. Uh, yeah, so he's a little confused as far as things go. Uh, what he ends up doing, though, is uh, sending a note to Thornton, the player who paralyzed his teammate. Um, and we're not really quite sure what it says, um, but it, it gets him going. So uh, they meet up at a gym uh, where Magna Conti is doing his 434th rep. <laughs> so still mega strong. Um, I'm not really sure what would have brought him there. They're a little, little vague about it, honestly. Um, but Thornton, of course, is still kind of a jerk. So he's just kind of make a short Ms. Magnificent. Some of my buddies and me are getting together to watch the film of our exhibition game. And I don't want to miss the good part. Yuck, yuck. <laughs> Get a lot of yuck, yucks out of this guy. <laughs> yeah, it would be more comedic if the guy wasn't paralyzed for life. Right? <laughs> oh. Yeah, so guy's a real head case. Uh, also wearing purple pants, a vest, and nothing underneath. So style maven um, oh that's it yeah no comment on the the naked vest no i was just thinking um i'm sorry the, the luke cage yeah, oh, like power man? maybe yeah maybe i don't know that's no power man he doesn't have the tiara okay so Jack's big plan, of course, then is intimidation, perhaps. So he takes his dumbbell, uh, wraps it up into a pretzel, 
right? Just to kind of show off how strong he is and hands it to the guy so he can prove that it's not like a dummy one. Like, what the heck? And he just starts bending sports equipment and tossing it on the guy <laughs> in a pile. <laughs> it's like, what's the matter with you? You nuts or something? You could have killed me. Exactly, Jack says. See you on the field tomorrow, pal. Yeah, he's... <laughs> Jack's mood is lifted dramatically. It's right? uh, suddenly he's like, the clouds are gone and it's a beautiful day. I'm going to kill you tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, that's the implication. Thanks for stopping by, man. <laughs> so, yeah, basically his plan is to intimidate the crap out of him. Um, so, you know, we get to the game. They don't show too much actual football, but basically the first thing Jack does is fire his super strength football uh, right into the back of Thornton, which is strong enough to just knock him over. And no, no one questions this, but uh, like, you can't knock over like a 250-pound dude with a football. Oh. Physics, right? Force equals mass times acceleration. Football doesn't have enough mass. Right, so yeah, but so it must have a lot of acceleration. <laughs> yes. um, so yeah, so a normal person couldn't couldn't accomplish this. Uh, so he's he, let me give you a hand up so I can knock you down again. So even his threats are kind of lame. <laughs> I find that endearing. It, 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 Jack didn't grow up on the street. No, so, uh, ready to Main Street where they called him Giovanni. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm just kind of amused by like he manages to to be this threat, um, but usually the quarterback is kind of behind everyone and they're shielding him. So how does he get out there and like knock this guy down over and over again? Yeah, he's like lead blocking, and at least one time he's got the ball. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's not clear how in the course of a game this happens, but basically he just plow keeps plowing into him. Uh, he keeps getting slower and slower to get up until eventually, you know, to dramatic effect, he's knocked down right in front of Hawkins in his wheelchair. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> oh, says, that's enough, Jack. I said, give him one for me. <laughs> so, that's awfully forgiving for the guy who can never play football again and is paralyzed for life and probably going to die sooner than he would have normally, but. Just give him one penalty card, Jack. That's all. <laughs> uh, so Thornton's done. You know, he makes him apologize. He says, I promise I won't do it again. Uh, he basically won't get up uh, or can't. Uh, so the team has to kind of carry him off the field. You know, he's done. The game's out. They, they run out the clock and win the game. Um, uh, with a minute or so left, Magna Conti's still kind of like, well, is the fist going to do something? Like, they threatened this game. You know, there's still time enough for them to make their move. Are my friends in danger? Um, then he gets a basket of flowers in his locker <laughs> with a note that says, have a nice day. You never know uh, which will be your last. Is that XXX fist? Like, they're giving him kisses? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> which is ironic from what he did to fist jaw right <laughs> this was in pretty bad shape yeah i thought it was just the fist or, but you're right it's xxx fist. <laughs> i got new glasses today i can read that he's giving him smooches 
So Jack's like, yeah, right. And they're just trying to do the same thing I did to Thornton. <laughs> I think I'm made of sterner stuff. I like the sterner stuff line. Uh, yeah, the, um, sorry. Yeah, so everything's better now. Like, I mean, the guy's paralyzed, but at least he- And I guess oh. Thornton is going, is, has to quit football now. Yeah, yeah, that was one of his, like, I never want to see you in a uniform again kind of thing. Well, at least he didn't <sighs> turn him into the mob, I guess. No, maybe this guy <laughs> had it coming even, like, I don't know what's yeah, worse. I think uh, this. I think yeah. Ugly Mac Thornton was also giving your uh, son a hard time at college. <laughs> <laughs> Billy Hawkins didn't have mob connections, so <laughs> Ugly Thornton lives. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, but I think three what, days later. Yeah, this this is what made the issue for me and got me excited. Is you know because football action. Uh, maybe the threat of the fist coming back kind of thing. Um, but so back at Kickers Inc, uh, Dasher, the only one that ever wears the uniform is strolling by, they're feeling phone calls. They get a phone call from Wisconsin. What could that be? We know some people in Wisconsin, right? <laughs> oh, oh, geez. So it's a little kid whose mom is gone. I haven't seen her since dad checked her into that special hospital last summer. Told me it was just for some tests or something, but they won't even let me talk to her on the phone. Uh, I know something happened to her, something bad. Dad won't tell me anything. He keeps telling me she's a freak and she's better off with her freaky friends, but she's my mom. Who can help me? So we all know who that is. So the, that's DP7, right? The next issue, these freaks are made for fighting, featuring DP7. Awesome. Right? <laughs> Kickers Inc's in for some trouble if it's a straight up team fight. Okay, so, so that puts us at the end of Kickers Inc number four, teasing that we're going to square off against DP7. So we got a good, uh, actually, drawing of them at the on the last page. Um, yeah, a little teaser just so to remind all of us <laughs> if we didn't know who DP7 was. Yeah, if you haven't been following DP7 at home, now's the time to start picking them up. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the, the, I think this was something you had suggested a couple of issues ago as, like, as the most uh, public um, superheroes in the new universe that, yeah, Kickers Inc. could get called to uh, deal with some of the other issues that are going on out there. Yeah, I, I did that with no knowledge of this crossover. <laughs> so just a lucky coincidence, really. It's yeah, like you're why in, not, right? Your head is inside the new universe now. Ken Connell's calling him too. He's like, if I saw aliens, I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It actually Overall, would have been a good meetup. It probably would have helped Ken a lot because then like Jack could have maybe told him, well, I also got superpowers mysteriously around the same time. And yeah, I it's to funny that like the none of the people are like have time to investigate how this happened or, you know, even really think very much about it. But yeah, Jack still blames it mostly on Steve and his uh, intensifier machine or whatever it was. <laughs> Which to me still was a total scam and Steve knew it. 
<laughs> it would be more hilarious if they came across like his secret notes later. <laughs> or they just opened up the machine and it was all like uh, toys or something. <laughs> just like a, a weight that moves back and forth to make the vibration. <laughs> sure. Steve's a scientist. <laughs> He did have an impressive lab, though, so who knows where he got all that stuff. He should have teamed up with uh, the chemist from the previous issue who was having trouble uh, uh, with his funding from the government. I've seen a lot of funding it troubles, and uh, according to the people I, I deal with, um, funding was pretty good back then. I don't know. You could just get some, a grant funded you know, straight out of grad school. They didn't even have to do a postdoc or... Yeah. Well, these guys are kind of fringy, I guess, though. Like if you got a like lone scientist with a gambling problem and Yeah, I'm, I was kind of thinking it would be nice if there was like an X-Files character, if not book in this um situation sort of trying to piece together what, you know, what's going on. Oh, that would be good. Yeah, that would have added a lot to it. And you could either have them as a book or sort of bounce from book to book. Mm, yeah, kind of tying things together. Like, you know, there have been some reports of, you know, Mr. Magnificent becoming even better, right? And he starts this <laughs> Kickers Foundation. Like, what's up? Let's go investigate this, you know? Yeah. Really got it all kind of like dance around him or something, kind of fake him out. Maybe. Hmm. Uh, anyway, let's see. There was also a reference to a, a Mercury Morris, who was a runner running back from the 60s and 70s, who had a coke trafficking conviction later. Oof, huh? um, yeah, it was, I guess, overturned eventually or something. But he was a guy who, who um, yeah, when everyone was taking the drug test early in the, in the book, they're like, yeah, thank you very much, Mercury Morris. It had been like 10 years at that point. So I don't know why they're still bitter against that guy. Surely there were more, you know, drug using uh, football players uh, in the in yeah. the 80s. I don't know. Fueled by cocaine, I guess. Makes me think faster. Yeah, I, I honestly, I was kind of disappointed that Hawkins got knocks, gets knocks out so quickly because I thought it's sort of an ongoing joke. It would be, it would work well. You know what I mean? Like you could yeah. have milked a few issues of him brown nosing Coach Kirby and trying to angle for Dash's uh, place on the team, and maybe even trying to get himself into kicker's ink as well. Ooh, oh yeah. Why not, right? I'll wear the uniform. Yeah, sure. Whatever you want, Mr. Magnificent. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna my guess is we never see him again. I'm think you're right. I my memory of all this is pretty fuzzy. So. For, for as mad as only apparently Jack was, uh, nobody else seemed to care. Um, he didn't really get much FaceTime, and they didn't really talk about like him so much as how mad they were about what the other guy did. You know, yeah, more angry. Oh, oh actually, I had a note for myself. What if you had Hawkins try the intensifier machine and turn himself into the great villain of this? <laughs> Would his legs still not work? Um, either way, I look, I can't, I don't have all the answers, but 
Yeah, my favorite part was still that like the the evil organization, the Fist, which like hinted at grand revolutionary plans, was basically like prank calling the guy. <laughs> like this will really screw with his head. You're Prince Albert in a can, Mister Magnificent. <laughs> uh, he doesn't even really take them too. He takes them a little seriously, but not too seriously. <laughs> I, yeah. He's a little uh, casual with, with the threats because of his invulnerability, but he's not like Superman invulnerable. Yeah. So, I mean. Yeah. Anyway, well, should we give it a grade or anything else left to say about this particular issue? Um, I'm going to also point out the timeline is pretty weird because if we're starting the fall season, then we. Like he got the powers and then they went through a whole season and now we're yeah. starting another season. So I thought, yeah, we, we should space it out and not start a new season for a while, but okay. Yeah, because it didn't seem like, I mean, he could have gotten the powers at like the end of the last season, but I mean, that doesn't really make sense timeline-wise either, so. Yeah, there was something I- like a year after. This should be the next year basically, but. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, you had to sort of accelerate that a bit, but yeah, yeah. I think uh, that's the only yeah notes I had. I was kind of, I mean, the art was uh, was not great, but it it wasn't like jarringly different from page to page as we may have seen in other things recently. Yeah, no, just a couple like shots of Jack where he kind of looked like a weird grandma and such, but. Um, and the story was, I mean, that's, it was very wordy, like the Jack and Darlene conversations or Jack thinking to himself would just like fill half a page. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. um, but I don't know. I'll give it a, a C. It's, um, it, it's, it fulfills like an entertainment function without um, making me particularly happy about a, a particular part of it. So. Yeah, it's, it, it was kind of fun to read. Like, it, it re reads okay. Um, but yeah, like you said, the art's kind of iffy, but not distractingly bad, right? So, like, there's definitely some, some faces that don't match up anymore and such, but, like, it's okay. Um, and, uh, but yeah, it's just kind of, like, it's, it's the wacky stuff makes it fun to read, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. As far as like interaction amongst the team, that that's nice. Those guys are like a fun group of always sort of um, getting each other around locker yeah. room humor. So it seems like we've lost the blackness of suicide. Uh, like one more issue, and he'll be more often white than black. And albino, albino suicide next. <laughs> and uh, Darlene definitely is getting sidelined hard. <laughs> Like she was like right there with the team in the machine, you know, on the mission for issue two. And then since then, she's pretty much just been sent at home, uh, giving Jack somebody to talk to, which is kind of disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, yeah. it's, it's a uh, bit of a loss there. Um, I mean, she, she would be a good, like second opinion to these bunch of lunkheads trying to save, solve problems rather than just, you know, playing the wife. I think that would be more interesting if she kind of had to do both, but 
anyway, that, that can change. I mean, this, this book changes directions quite a bit, right? You know, so we went from uh, basically going undercover and breaking up a cult to uh, football, straight up football related action here. So, you know, we'll see if, if the fist comes back, then maybe she'll spring back into action and pick her Uzi back up and start tearing things up. <laughs> Hopefully. So yeah, I, yeah, I would go see maybe C plus just cause it's kind of fun in a, in a bad way, almost a, yeah. a little bit of, of goofy badness makes it more fun. And I'm definitely looking forward to the tussle or misunderstanding fight with DP seven. Yeah, I like the, the the promise of yet to come is good. Um, yeah, yeah. Even in the eighties, you would you would have female characters, but they would be sidelined a lot. Um, and so, yeah. Even then, I remember thinking, why don't they put this character to more use? I mean, uh, Wilma Deering in in Buck Rogers. Um, mm-hmm. There's an. I mean, I think. Wonder Woman was retained a central role in her own show, but just barely. Mm. Things like that, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, just maybe writers just don't know what to do with them, I guess. But the early days, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, sort of... So we had promised talking about Mr. Magnificent as a character, and, and I always kind of think of him as like. Uh, a version of the Captain America story, just kind of white guy gains powers. He has kind of like the same power set, you know, of just enhanced strength and a little bit invulnerable. So he's just kind of like become a little bit super. Uh, you had made the connection of, or, or one of us made the connection is maybe almost for DC, kind of like golden age Superman, like Superman before he's too powerful. Uh, yeah, he's not Actually. like. Yeah, I, 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 because I was reading a couple of the some of the Golden Age um, collections from DC, and you know he jumps without he's not flying, and he sort of runs around, um, sort of inserting himself into uh, yeah people in trouble issues, not like alien conqueror issues, and you know. He was very like this sort of New Deal Democrat ideal of um, helping helping the working man and um, okay, so that was but, probably pretty different from like maybe the not the most modern take, but like sort of the eighties nineties Superman where he's kind of like the ultimate good guy, like you know farm raised Clark Kent, nice. Want, won't hurt a fly, you know, but you know, yeah, super but that, strong and can and can fight off giant monsters and stuff. Like, so yeah, I think in the nineteen thirties, that wasn't like too unusual to be like raised on a farm and have a yeah, yeah, you know, um, the, the character defining thing. Yeah, and he's let's see, as a reporter, he's kind of that's a fairly you know puts you in the middle of action. Uh, job um whereas he's not a celebrity the way yeah mr magnificent has you know, celebrity is is actually a superpower of its own and so is money yeah. a lot of money is the power. 
Yeah. I mean, he made a lot of that money from his success after gaining the powers, right? So, like, you know, in in our early first issue montage, like, he became kind of, like, extra famous. Like, he did the the song and, you know, won the Super Bowl, you know. So I think his fame catapulted after gaining his powers, uh, which... Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not super familiar. I don't know if you have you read much of like the early Captain America stuff. Right? Actually, yeah, no, yeah, that's good. But, I mean, I think of him kind of mostly from the the Marvel movie story, where he's kind of like the the weak guy who wants to help out, right? And he can't. He just physically is not up to it. Um, and so then, <laughs> let's volunteer you for the science experiment. You know, he gains the super soldier serum, becomes powerful. Uh, you know, but that was kind of his defining characteristic from those movies is like, you know, like he's all heart, right? So he's kind of pure hero kind of and very America, which is easy to do when you're fighting a very villainous bunch of Germans and Nazis and such. But um, Magnificent, like he's more selfish, right? Like he hides his powers, which is different, right? So he doesn't have a secret identity or like a hero identity, uh, but he's definitely, even on his missions, he's not trying to show off his superpowers um, until it's ready to throw down, right? Um, but, but yeah, he's definitely more selfish, right? Like he's, he's, he's got, gotten money and fame and football success from having his powers. He's not out there saving the world or particularly even helping that many people yeah it's a i mean i can see a sort of an argument that the 1980s were already this sort of uh, more cynical time where it was certainly rising at that point um but you had a um yeah he, he i mean the, the he's not like yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's a certain amount of uh, the way people look at um, professional sports that's kind of similar to like how they look at an army when it's wartime. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, we expect them to be like loyal and tough all the time and always following orders of coaches and stuff like that. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, what are we up today? Like a Tom Brady. Yeah. Yeah. Very, you know. People think, you know, they're a great guy. They watch his, you know, he did, does a commercial. They'll have a favorable opinion of the product, all that kind of normal yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, I think early on and like, you know, I think the first couple issues, I'm definitely expecting Mr. Magnificent to be that kind of like perfect hero-y kind of character. Because uh, I think early on they kind of showed him that way. Um, first issue, it was definitely a little questionable of like, do do I keep playing football because I'm cheating? Um, and then second, he's kind of battling bad guys more in the second issue, and in the third, he, uh, <laughs> you know, we we brought it up a couple times, but because it was kind of jarring that he he left the sort of bad guy in the issue uh, to be killed by the mob. <laughs> Uh, and here we're wondering, is he going to kill this other football player? So, but, but I guess it's really probably more realistic, right? I mean, it's like, it's he's definitely got a, a dark side that we see in his thought balloons. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, and his moral 
unlike like Steve Rogers, we would always like sort of identify with their moral point of view, whereas we're kind of like, <laughs> you are wrong, Jack. You're you're you shouldn't be playing anymore. Yeah. Um, probably. Right. But yeah, I mean that's probably what you would do though. Like you're a football player, like you know, and this is what you do, you know, he's made it his life, you know, like he's gonna have a hard time giving that up. So yeah, that's he's, the thing. He's, he's not he's trying like... to come up with ways where he can feel better about still doing it, right? To tire himself out or holding back or all these kind of things. Um, but really, uh, you know, he's probably mostly kind of doing that to make himself feel better, which is probably what someone like that would do, you know? Yeah, he's not a guy who, yeah, he was like a tiny, a skinny runt who, you know, wanted to be a football player and then the magic machine turned him into a football player and he's like perfect no he was he had spent his whole life working on this yeah and yeah so now it just gets boosted too far and he's like yeah, what am i doing i don't know anymore so yeah. that's a little harder to identify with but it's kind of a yeah it does put an interesting spin on things i suppose i haven't seen that story a lot no yeah, and really, like, when I'm going into reading the new universe, I'm like, Kickers Inc., this has got to be terrible. Like, how are you going to do a book about football players that's not just dumb? <laughs> and, you know, I've been relatively pleasantly surprised because at least it's kind of interesting. Like, you know, they take it in interesting directions. Um, if they didn't go... I thought they were going to go full-on A-team. Like, they're going to be, like, tackling bad guys and hunting bombs around and stuff, you know, like cheesy <laughs> yeah, stuff was... using their football skills, <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and, uh, you know, they've been kind of bouncing around in terms of like, what does kickers Inc. do, or do we focus more on the football and such? Um, and it's a little inconsistent and it's not the best writing or art. Um, but the concept I think is pretty okay. You know, like the first time when they rolled out and they, we're arguing about like wearing the uniforms and like nobody wanted to wear them. I'm like, I'm like, all right, like, like they're not yeah. just doing it by the numbers, you know. They're they're being at least a little thoughtful about it. Yeah, I don't know. I, this was like in the mainline Marvel universe or the DC universe. Yeah, you know, could have you know had a, a decent uh, reception on its own without like ties to this. Uh, yeah, and like Marvel had like the Wreckers or like the Wrecking Crew. There's like a, a couple of bad guys that are like demolition themed. And, like they have like a magic crowbar and stuff. And like I was thinking, like that's that's the dumbest idea. <laughs> so, like, why doesn't anyone just laugh at these guys? Uh, they're, they're super strong. <laughs> magic crowbar, come on. Yeah, that's... I think this is, that's a little bit of like what New Universe was supposed to get away from. <laughs> so. Yeah, so Jack's, uh, yeah, like a very, yeah, it's more like in some ways the, the golden age Superman because he's just sort of what you would want if you, you know, ask a, a normal guy, a normal kid, you know, what would you want if you, you know, could have a superpower? Stronger, faster, invulnerable? Yeah, yeah. Uh, can't get hurt by bullets, right? Perfect. It's great, yeah. I could do that a lot with that that uh, skill set. So, you know, if it seems a little generic, it's only because of so many uh, variations on that since then. But... Many, many, many variations. All right. 
So should we take a break and then uh, head on over to Mark Hazard? Sounds good. Marcus Hazard. A break we shall take. All right. Welcome back. We'll uh, now take a look at Mark Hazard Merck, number four. Um, number four's uh, cover as a bit of an action pose of Mark uh, holding an Uzi and uh, facing off against a man uh, leaning out of a bus, school bus maybe. Uh, with a gun uh, holding a woman hostage. Um, not sure if that's supposed to be Claire Burnett from the previous issue, possibly. Probably supposed to be, yeah. Uh, or at least, the, uh, yeah, she's drawn a little more uh, feminine. Yeah, she's busty. <laughs> it's one way to sell comics, and uh, yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, it, like I said before, the uh, his face is half obscured by his arm, which seems like it goes against some like Marvel House style of always sort of showing your protagonist as front and center and you know identifiable. But uh, let's see, there's the the New Universe logo above uh, at the top of the uh, cover is a nice tint of orange uh, this time. Let's stand out there. Almost red. Yeah. The uh, inside we, oh, let's see. This was on stand, newsstands um, November 4th, 1986. Let's see. We start off uh, the splash page um, and the title of this uh, story is Bar None. And um, Someone is speaking in uh, narration boxes, and we're looking at uh, mugshots of our boy, Mark Hazard, who has been arrested by the NYPD as of the end of last issue. Yeah. He's uh, got, yeah, so that scar on his eye and also one on his lip. Um, very noticeable. And uh, I think they, they'd mentioned before, but he is 42 years old. Yeah, he's basically my age. <laughs> there you go. Ah. Yeah. Um, so if he was, let's see, so it's like born in 44. So he'd be 78 now, something. Mm. Um, and it's, they do something you, you will see. Uh, a lot of times on justice, I noticed where they're sort of uh, someone saying a sentence or something, and then it, be, you know, the word they use is justice. Here, you know, this is Mark Hazard, and instead of just saying Mark Hazard, they add the logo for the logo on there. Yeah. Title, yeah, this is Mark Hazard Merck. Yeah. So right, and of course the logo has like the Merck words are in on fire and such. Right? <laughs> 
and Fuego. Wow. Yeah. Cool. It's a nice little uh, thing. I enjoy. Was this before Inferno from the X Men that used the same kind of thing, or after? That'd be the question. Uh, I think Mutant Massacre was just happening, and that was maybe one of the first crossovers. So Inferno would be a year or two later. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sounded a little bit quiet. Sorry. Alrighty. So, um, who's talking is apparently a Captain Allison, who's a heavyset older um, senior member of the NYPD. And he is talking to a room full of people, um, only a couple of whom we recognize. And is sort of uh, going over what happened with Mark Hazard in issues two and three, where there was uh, an attack at a Little League game that uh, Mark repelled, and then later a uh, terrorist attack in Philadelphia that Mark assisted with, and also broke himself out of jail and various other things. Yeah, so, so they're going over his kill count just like we do. <laughs> um there's also let's see so there's claire burnett um the police woman who had talked to mark last time and a couple of people i don't recognize or they don't identify yeah they don't identify like burnett had a partner and i don't see him in this issue Um, yeah no i don't think so so they mentioned uh dirksen is here who's a uh mystery guy from a alphabet agency so cia fbi something or other um who's sort of who's standing there and uh, the captain is talking to an assistant named iram um about all of this who he refers to as an arab his emphasis (laughs) yes no offense iram police captains are always jerks though right yeah and he has the classic Someone like me with six months to go to retirement yeah, right. and have to put up with this. <laughs> so he's, he's both the grizzled guy that's just about to retire who usually gets killed uh, and the jerk captain that's going to ask for someone's badge at the same time. It's a bad yeah. mashup. Uh, I'm sorry. Let me step back a page and give the credits. Peter David is again the story here. And Alan Kupperberg is a new one on layouts and Jack Fury on finishes. And as we've mentioned before, Jack Fury is apparently a code name for whoever was hanging around the bullpen that day. And we see a variety of inking styles um, through this issue. The first three or four pages are um, pretty similar to what we had in issues one and two. So we're guessing that's more uh, the work of Gray Morrow, uh, but anyway. So uh, we we get a little uh, thought balloon from both Claire Burnett, who's thinking, "Yeah, thanks, Mark. I owe you for this hazard." Um, and uh, Dixon, who's uh, this is beautiful. Uh, he's uh, planning to uh, that. Um, Something to do with Hazard, and he's like, oh, "This the the guy's got himself in such a fix. I'll be the only way he has out of it." Then 
we switch to another scene, which is a little confusing because there's also a table full of people at this scene. Yeah, um, I like this part though. <laughs> so this is the classic like fraternity hazing or something. This uh, nebishy looking uh, guy is uh, getting congratulated by this uh, room full of people. And um, they're like, oh, you just passed your bar exam and you've been promoted from clerk to associate. So you're one of us now, Lewis. You will no longer be considered pond scum, was the line. <laughs> it's like, I mean, yeah, they're like, I think it's a very like, do top law firms run themselves like fraternity hazing things from Revenge of the Nerds? I don't remember. I mean, I watch a lot of TV and I would agree that they probably do. <laughs> <laughs> Police captains are jerks lawyers different kind of jerks these, these stories kind of write themselves when you think about it oh yeah um so let's see you're one of us now lewis and as the new kid on the block you get the hazard file and here he is he's sitting at a desk with that's like piled high with files <laughs> just who's mark hazard so as we suspected Mark's life is probably full of um, legal difficulties, uh, random attacks, self-defense, um, plea bargains, and I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about this, and it's like, you know, what, like, what if you made a TV show that was like always a misunderstanding, right? So like. The, the superpower or the conceit of the character is like they would always get themselves into trouble like in stuff that always looks horrible like you know they killed somebody or you know ended up with a pile of drugs and like it was never their fault right? <laughs> like, never like it was always conclusively proven like you know there's an accident and like they are innocent completely right but it just keeps happening <laughs> and then it's like well, what, what do you do like like you know, is, is it humanly possible for this guy to murder 12, to, or not murder, but kill 12 people, you know, in 12 days, but then never be at fault ever once? You know, like, I feel like that's what we're getting with Merck, you know, it's like, he's saving the day, he's trying to not get assassinated, you know, it's like, he's going to get in trouble, but. Yeah, it's a bit of like, um, yeah, if you, if you. Mm. If the action movie like extended for another half hour where the like the cops are investigating and the lawyers are like wait you did what to this guy you had no proof he was part of the terrorist team he was just a guy in the room and you just shot him how dare you that's a good point yeah and even though he did rescue the israeli politician he also you know kicked a cop you know <laughs> Yeah, I think the, the part where he broke himself out of jail by hitting the cops was probably, um, yeah, you can't just sort of do that. And then alienated anyway. the uh, Israeli guy that might, might have gotten him out of it, perhaps, you know. But, but yeah, so he's in jail. <laughs> so he's in jail. Time to wake up and smell the coffee, Mark. So he's kind of thinking to himself, maybe dreaming a bit to himself. He's angry and unhappy and you see you see uh joan his ex-wife and his son scotty and uh joan's new husband gordon outside the uh, prison cell and they're all like 
giving him a hard time. Um, best thing I ever did for myself and Scott was to leave you for a real man like Gordon here. We all know Gordon's not a real man, so this is definitely a dream. <laughs> He's not a macho, posturing idiot who thinks masculinity is equated with the size of his gun. It's <laughs> this. So they they're leaving, and uh, like Gordon's like, I've got Joan. Uh, Mark's imagines himself pulling out a gun and shooting the guy a few times. <laughs> Give Joan my love. Uh, uh, Money imagines. My favorite is the kid's line of, Bye, Dad. Sorry, you're scum. <laughs> a lot of good work from Scotty in this issue, I gotta say. Yeah. No, I love so, dreams about killing the ex husband. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, the next thing that he sees is a uh, Viet Cong who's uh, coming up with a machete. I have some. I've got something to give you, Corporal. And uh, Mark realizes he's out of bullets. You couldn't stop me last time, Corporal. How's the other eye, Corporal? Ah! So he wakes up. And, oh, there's Dixon. <laughs> so we have a little bit of the backstory on uh, Mark's eye. It was apparently lost in Vietnam to a machete. So I'm well, still not yeah. quite sure whether he's... He lost that eye and now has a glass eye. True, yeah. I mean, it looks okay. It looks okay, and he never says, like, you know, I can't see this, or I don't have any depth perception, or anything like that. And to be honest, I think it would be difficult with all the shooting and everything he, he needs to do, so I'll assume it's his real eye for now. So, um, we leave Dirksen uh, and switch over to Penn Station which is uh, where a train from Philadelphia is arriving. And uh, we have a new anchor, which I think the next three or four pages are Kyle Baker. From... Yeah, it looks good. <laughs> yeah, it's a really nice style. I think I was, I mean, I, double, I just double checked. He was like 20, 21 at this time. Okay. So I, I always thought he was a little younger and was still in high school, but he blew up within like two or three years. Um, he, he was always doing um, strips for like Spy Magazine. He, you know, he got picked up in, in a number of um, bigger venues and did a couple of graphic novels. Um, but anyway, at this point, he's inking Mark Hazard Mark uh, for a couple pages. And um, we have the Iram the Arab guy from the first scene, uh, picking up a guy named Basque, who's coming from Philadelphia, apparently. And uh, the guy is joking around, hey, give me a hand. These Uzis are heavy. He <laughs> um, shut up. Um, they, uh, this guy has apparently lost a brother to Mark Hazard's um, fighting the terrorists in the previous issue. And he has come up to uh, meet Iram, who has, was placed uh, undercover here. And he was planted in the New York Police Department for a while. And now they're going to activate him, I guess, for a mission. I was a little disappointed that the Arabic cop, who the captain, who was kind of like a jerk and racist to, 
like ended up actually being a terrorist. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't know. Um, there, there's also a sort of funny line where Besk says, uh, my brother lo- nobly gave his life in our cause, but I swear we will bury the dog who did it. If we remember what actually happened to the terrorists at the end of the last issue, uh, the double meaning there. So perhaps um, he doesn't know about the dog thing. I don't think he does. Yeah. So it's yeah. It's, like, it's just us that's laughing, I guess, at this crime against humanity. But anyway. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of these comics have those. <laughs> so um, he says, we will bury Mark Hazard. Mark is getting out of the precinct and um, someone is calling to him and selling him that a $500,000 bail is not to be taken lightly. Uh, it's his lawyer. He's telling him, um, it's very important to your employer, Mr. Barrington, that you be kept out of jail. Uh, he put up the half million to have you out on bail. Um, I thought bail was like a percent of what you um, supposedly owed. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have no experience with that, unlike you. <laughs> I don't know. All I know is what I watch on TV. But, um, <laughs> I know it's generally so, yeah. someone comes and bails you out, and then you know you let them down. I guess it's pretty typical. Yeah, usually you're. Well, yeah, you. You owe them money because you screwed up and didn't show up for something. Yeah, um, Barrington. Oh, I was just. Uh, that. <laughs> you go first. We'll just trip over each other for a while. Barrington is Treetop Barrington, the helicopter guy from the ah, first yes. issue. Because as, this was really kind of not clear when on first reading, like what is this yeah, who's client or something? Who's his rich benefactor? Yeah, the. I mean, we were a little unsure. Uh, here he calls him his employer, and I thought that Barrington was, or Treetop was the guy who sort of set him up with jobs. So he's kind of the contact or the fixer that people call when they want this mercenary group to work for them. So yeah. Mark is kind of working under him. But yeah, I don't think he's really working under him, but maybe it would give that perception if he's the one who bailed him out. I would imagine he's just better with his money. That's also quite possible. Yeah. Yeah, he's a very it. responsible guy and yeah. could afford a helicopter. So, yeah, yeah I, I was going to say, like, Merck's problem here is that he's too effective, right? I mean, he was the, I mean, the bad guy for these terrorists should really be, um, you know, the guy who set the whole thing up in the first place. I forget his name, but the, the guy who hired Merck last issue. Uh, Ram? Yeah, Ram. I mean, he sh- realistically, he should be the one that they're after because he, you know, <laughs> made this whole thing happen. He knew there was going to be an attack. You know, he got Mark out of jail. And Mark, is, or Mark Hazard is really a victim of himself just being so good at it, right? So he was the bodyguard. He was the only one who was really did any good job protecting the guy. He rescued him in the end and in doing so, you know, killed a couple of people who had kidnapped the politician, right? So so that's that's what drew their attention, not the guy behind the scenes who's really, you know, murdered a bunch of dudes who had prisoner who was horrible, <laughs> yeah. right? Mark Hazard is just, you know, trying to rescue somebody who was actually in fact 
a little bit sympathetic to uh, Palestinians and such, right? So they got the wrong man. That's what I'm saying. Mark Hazard is just too good. Yeah, he. It sounds like the the news co- picked this up a bit. So maybe they were like, um, you know, this was this was what the the papers credited with the the story. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, they should know who like something about Ram. So unless he is he totally left town, which I don't know. Um, anyway, so they Mark and his lawyer are suddenly accosted by um, sort of Danny DeVito kind of character. Um, <laughs> so like and Laurel and Hardy. Kind of? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty old fashioned, like pork pie hat and uh, loud uh, plaid jacket. Um, and this is uh, Rick Burnett, the husband of uh, Claire, the uh, policewoman. And he's yelling at Mark for getting her in trouble. And, you know, whatever, she, she gets disciplined for that. All because she made the mistake of trusting you. Claire, I guess, comes up and is like, what are you doing here? You're embarrassing me. We're not finished, Hazard. Okay. She's like, we'll talk later, Mark. Marcus, for now, clear out and stay away from me. Capiche? Then Dirksen's there again. Oh, who's the detective in Batman? Like the, the big guy? Drummond? No, I'm trying to think. Oh. There's Renee Montoya, and then there's like the, the heavy, heavy set detective, and he's kind of uh, always, you may be a little rough. Yeah, that, that's what this guy kind of reminds me of. Maybe it's just that. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, dis- disproportionately dumpy and unattractive husband for Claire Burnett. Yeah, um, she, certainly the way she's drawn, uh, like on the cover. It's, it's like, what's she doing with John Belushi, you know? It's like... <laughs> <laughs> so let's see, Dirksen's there. Dirksen's a square-jawed, cut looking guy he's always in sunglasses and uh, he tells him the company is looking for a few good men I'm prepared to make your life real simple and uh, Mark's like I'm not interested storms off who is that the tooth fairy <laughs> you've not got a lot of words out of Mark Hazard this episode so far yeah like when Mr. Magnificent thinks to himself for like a full page. You don't get that from Mark Hazard. No. So anyway, later that day, although it looks like night, um, Scotty is walking some dogs and he finds, uh, comes across Mark uh, waiting under uh, like a street lamp, street light. It's like, what are you doing way out here in Queens? going on um scotty had like broken a window by accident and his uh, mother and the owner had uh, made a deal that he would do chores or something to to make up for it (laughs) this kid's so terrible that he broke my window now i'm gonna trust my dogs with him (laughs) it's a uh part of an overall enslavement deal he's kind of cute but i i heard on the news about you trashing those terrorists totally rad oh yeah (laughs) and uh, mark's like it kind of pains me but your mom's right you always have to be responsible for your actions 
That's easy for you to say, Dad. When you've got a problem, you just shoot somebody. <laughs> As well you should, son. <laughs> Scott is quickly becoming that like cute uh, sitcom son who always has some funny thing to say. I don't know. Right? But he's also like living in a world where it's totally normal for someone to get shot around you. <laughs> like... You know, like in the baseball game episode, I always think like the coach's son is probably traumatized for life because he was like held with a gun to his head in the middle of his little league game. Uh, whereas Scotty, I'm not worried about. I mean, he's probably just going to be a sociopath anyway, but it's like he's perfectly okay with casual violence because he lived it his whole life. Yeah. My sad. dad's going to beat up your dad. I'm like, no, my dad could kill your dad. <laughs> In fact, it's fairly likely it might happen. Scotty is be like 47 now. <laughs> uh, 48, something like that. So yeah, um, on we go to a, uh, we switch scenes to a sort of a school bus depot. Um, there's a security guard who's listening to his possibly wife on the phone and, you know, doing a lot of the yes dear wah 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 yes dear wah wah yeah it was quite literally blah 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 in the word balloons <laughs> and uh, he's he's someone coming in and it's Baskari uh, Ram and he's like what are you doing man uh, Halloween was yesterday you look like you're a little late for your party like I said this was actually just a few days after Halloween so um, it uh Iram seems to have some makeup on. He looks like uh, American Indian war paint. Yeah, it's, it's really kind of hard to make out. Just like some red stripes at this point. Yeah, you don't really get a full-on face, so it's, it's a little hard. But then um, the other guy uh, like smashes through the window behind the guard, grabs him, and holds him while... Um, I guess that's Iram, because... He says, hold him still, Iram. Don't make me waste ammunition. And then shoots him. So that's Besk and Iram are stealing a school bus, which seems like you didn't need to kill the guy to do. But No, really. I mean, I mean, he was barely a guard. It's like if he had just looked out and one of the buses was just driving off, he wouldn't have really done anything to stop them. So. Probably just gave him like 50 bucks and <laughs> be like, look the other way. It's like, <laughs> I get paid enough for this. Yeah. So, but they get a bus. Um, then we do go back to Mark uh, sort of thinking to himself a bit about what he should do, whether he should uh, accept responsibility for his actions and sort of go into the legal system or whether he should take this out that Dirksen is offering him, which uh, we'll get to in a second with a little more detail. Um, he's a little worried because his, as he says, his attorney seems like a pencil neck geek. And if the geek fumbles the ball, he'll be looking at something more severe than just walking dogs like Scotty. So he, he is, uh, he notices someone has gone into his apartment, the old piece of paper on the door jam. So he comes in gun drawn, but someone's already got the drop on him. Addie soldier and Dirksen is in there and is been rifling through his drawers or something and finds like a picture of his family. Like I hear kids usually look up to their father until their old man becomes a jailbird. 
Clearly, he doesn't know Scotty well. <laughs> he says he's uh, I'm through jerking around with you. I need you and your shop. Shop is a group of mercenaries hmm. to do some work for the company. Those and I'll just read this. Those Washington dopes tie our hands with red tape and moralistic yak yak about working here in the states. They want the civilian law enforcement people to handle handle the domestic stuff. The problem is those guys got jello where their spine ought to be. This country needs men with guts enough to look the enemy in the eye and drop the hammer. In domestic situations? Okay. That's where you come in, soldier boy. Uh, uh, well, he did just your... have some people firing rocket launchers at parades. <laughs> He's... I, I don't know. Things are heating up in the U.S. What was that movie with Chuck Norris, Invasion USA? Yeah, not familiar. Um, okay, we will definitely have to go over that at some point. Um, Put it on the watch list. Yes. So he, uh, he says, I'm giving you the opportunity to blow away some of the meanest motherless scum to walk the face of the planet. The courts won't touch him, but you can. Oh, he's literally like offering him the point, you know, some sort of domestic jobs of, you know, extrajudicial justice or something. It seems like a comic book like setup, like, oh, that's oh, yeah. perfect for me. Um, like justice, yeah, himself, we, that's him, you know. So, but um, they're, they're like, he's then sort of uh, tells them, you know, your charges against you will get dropped and uh, they're. Policewoman will get cleared and everything will work out great. And if I don't, well, then the um, policewoman goes up on charges and I yank all your buddy's cards. Cards are gun permits. And close down your shop. Shop was the group of mercenaries. (laughs) Um, And you go to jail. So meet me at Union Square at midnight. And we see that there's a second... um, guy with Dirksen, who's the one who's holding the gun on Mark, which was a little... We didn't yeah, see that. it was a little confusing, but generic gun-holding guy. Yeah. So, um, he leaves him with that sort of threat and uh, heads out. And then we go through a number of other locations. Uh, Lewis Hart's office, and uh, Claire Burnett's apartment on 92nd Street. So the um, lawyer gets rounded up. Yeah, so woman and her husband. Besk and Iram go around and grab these guys who um, had been involved with Mark before. And meanwhile, we're sort of switching back and forth with Mark sort of putting his guns together, putting stuffing a bag and looking like he's getting ready to go somewhere. Um, and they are putting these people on the school bus that they had just stolen. And uh, um, after I know, Claire Burnett, uh, he's like, watch them closely, Aram. Now all we need is hazard. And at this time, Mark's getting ready to go out and he's thinking to himself, his lawyer is a bumbling jerk. Dirksen, the cumber- company man, is an arrogant jerk. His fate rests with a couple of jerks. Yeah, so we're still kind of like, what is he planning to do? 
you know, go the lawyer route and just, you know, deal with the problems that he caused or, you know, take the out from the government, but then you got to work for this guy who's a jerk. <laughs> yeah. If you think the whatever Wolfson in the last issue was bad, I'm sure Dirksen wouldn't, uh, wouldn't be much better. Um, so then he's at Union Square and at midnight, we don't really get much in the way of um, uh, scenery there. Um, so is this where he was supposed to meet? Uh... He meets Dirksen there, yeah. Dirksen, okay, he yeah. He meet him there at midnight or before two. No, Union Square before midnight. Um, and even though like everyone who worked on this book was living in New York City at the time, they don't do anything that makes this Union Square look like you know, unique in any way. No, it's just some rectangles. <laughs> so uh, Mark's standing there and he sees this bus coming down at him. And uh, we finally get a nice portrait of the crazy paint that Besk has put all over himself. And uh, Mark quite rationally pulls his gun out and starts firing at the bus without really knowing what's going on. He doesn't yeah. know, know what's going on. He doesn't stick around to ask. So the next um, thing is he's, um, he's um, getting ready to pull a grenade. He brought the grenades for someone else, but a good thing always comes in handy. Was he going to stick it down Dirksen's pants or something? <laughs> um, but no good. They look over and um, Besk is holding, I think, the lawyer. Yeah, it's got to be the lawyer. But then he says, I'll kill her, man. I will. And I think it's supposed to be the basically the cover where he's holding Claire Burnett. Yeah. I don't know. So he's holding the lawyer but talking about Claire? Sure. I'll kill her, man. I will. Anyway. On we go. Um, Mark is uh, tied up and now on the bus with these other people, including Dirksen. Did we get Dirksen already? Yeah, we saw him earlier in the first shot inside the bus. He's just sitting there with his hands behind his head and like in the relaxed guy pose, like he just not worried. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they didn't show him being abducted. So it's a good to have Probably to might have put up more of a fight. I mean, he had like another guy with him and they were armed and they're, you know, spies or something. Yeah, there's a lot of off panel going on here. So um, let's see. He starts explaining. I brought my friends here because my I brought your friends here because my friend and I wish to make as great an example of you as you made of my friends in Philadelphia. Many members of our movement died as a result of your interference. These few fools and yourself will be a pitiful retributive strike. It'll have to do. He counts them all down. The lawyer will die for defending you. Dirksen will die because his company has done a lot of dirty work to our brothers. Policewoman Brunette will die for befriending you. And her husband doesn't even know you, Hazard. Therefore, I'm going to kill him for the heck of it. And then we see a shot ring out. And I'm not really sure if he did shoot Burnett's husband. Pretty sure he did. Likely. Um, 
Yeah, it's it, a little off panel, though. Everything is really hard to follow here, uh, to be honest. But there's a blam, and honestly, the art makes it look like the side of the bus gets blown out. But then the next yeah. panel, he's holding the smoking gun. So, yeah. And then, it's, you know, they run into the blockade. So, uh, yeah, I think the husband just got killed. Yeah, it wasn't someone shooting into the bus. Yeah. Um, this is incidentally right outside Grand Central Station. Uh, took a look at the map, and yeah, you go straight up Park Avenue from Union Square to Grand Central. So, this oh, little trip, it does make sense and geographically for them. But um, they look ahead and Two army trucks block the road. Those are Hazard's men. Why are they there? <laughs> what? The um, bus swerves around, and uh, we see Mal, Mal Rossi, with some unseen people. They all have machine guns, and they start shooting at the bus. They hit the tires. The bus goes right out of control, fishtails, and comes to rest in a grocery store. I'm not quite sure if this is one of those little bodegas, I guess, they have now. I don't think we called them that back then, so I'm not quite sure. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but we get... Uh, so, Iram, I guess, gets uh, shoulder-checked by Mark, who uh, sort of knocks him down, and his gun goes flying, and is standing over him, and uh, <laughs> he... Someone foolishly says, you'll die for that hazard. And then he sees Mark's boot coming down. He's like, no, please. And kind of spoke a little too fast there. But yeah, sorry, Aaron. I just feel like it. <laughs> so yeah, kill count one. Yeah. The bus uh, crunches at the end of the store and uh, hazard and Dirksen free themselves. Um, and then go out because the desk is still out there, I guess, with the gun. Um, and let's see, Hazard sees Mal and, um, and a helicopter and... with treetop, yeah, and uh, who'd been following them, I guess. And um, yeah, I guess Mark had told Mal to get some guys and meet, you know meet him down there to be ready in case Dirksen pulled something on him. That's the yeah. explanation we have. Right? Um, so Besk is, yes, yes, saying that um, he's going to you know, shoot Dirksen and everyone else. And uh, Okay. So we pick up and we've got a whole bunch of people, right? So there's one terrorist, which I guess is Besk is still alive. Right? That's right, yeah. So apparently, Iran must have been the one with the face paint that he killed. Yeah. So how did he even know his name? Because, uh, yeah, he wasn't at that meeting in the morning with Captain uh, Allison that started off this. Because he shouldn't have met him. So we, he didn't know that these terrorists were coming. He didn't know that they'd abducted anybody. He was waiting for Dixon. Fully armed and with a blockade. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's the. I mean, yeah. So the the part where Mal had set up a trap is is a bit of a plot hole for me, but I think the part where like the terrorists don't know who all these people are connected to Mark, um, I think 
is is a bit of a bigger one, but I don't know. Oh, like how they just they know exactly who to round up kind of thing? Yeah, like Lewis, I don't think, was at the meeting in the morning. And yeah, though I guess the police officer would know who bailed him out. Yeah, if you if you assume that yeah, Hiram's inside the department and he knows a couple of things. Yes. It's not well explained is the biggest problem. So yeah, I think I can forgive that plot hole, but um, everything's just kind of thrown, thrown in together here. Well, I mean, you make a good point because if you're like, hey, I'm worried there's going to be a showdown at Union Square, why would you have a, a blockade up at Grand Central? It's, yeah. Yeah, it's a showdown, it's a showdown against who, right? It's just one guy who's going to meet you and, and get your answer, right? Yeah, maybe. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so let's see. So Besk is shouting. Mal, Mal is about to shoot him. And then there's kind of a confusing thing where uh, Mark takes the gun out of Mal's hand or knocks it yeah. down or something. It doesn't really make much sense. Yeah. Um, but they've managed to distract him. And the lawyer... Um, sort of sneaks up behind him and he's like, I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid of anything. It's my destiny. And he, bam, he gets a briefcase in the back of the head. <laughs> and he's, yeah, the lawyer kind of gives him a hard time. What? You're insulting people? Anyway. Oh, right. So on the previous page, he says, blood's on your hands, Hazard. You shall stand in account. Your bumbling lawyer will not help you. You'll be yeah. many years in the prisons. And then the lawyer's like, bumbling? Bumbling? <laughs> you can't even speak English and you're insulting people? <laughs> How dare you? So the lawyer's with the brief. dare you? Yeah. So, yeah, Lewis Hart to the Hazard. rescue. Yeah, Mark Hazard's kind of lawyer, I think. Yeah. So, it's good. Yeah, the, so Dirksen's very unflappable he's like okay well let's just uh go to that job i wanted you to do right like, <laughs> um lawyer is still saying bumbling i'll have you know sir i graduated first in my class he's <laughs> pretty fixated um yeah Dirksen points out that his situation is even worse there's even more people dead and, and uh -huh. gonna get a, even deeper um whatever legal issues but I think Mark just puts the gun down and walks out. Yep. And he and he, Rossi or Mal tells him, you know, five ounces of plastique in his carburetor and all your problems vanish. <laughs> <laughs> well, not all of your problems, but <laughs> I like that he's the explosion version of Mark Hazard, where like his kid, uh, Scotty's like, you solve all your problems by shooting people. And like Mal so literally solves all of his problems with explosions. He's probably got a kid somewhere. Oh, you just blow up all the people who give you trouble, Dad. <laughs> so he's Mark says, I've got to do what's right. And the next day, we're back at Scotty's. He's finally finished all his chores. He's like, at minimum wage, that window must have cost $800. Yeah. Minimum wage was like 4 maybe $5 back then. Yeah. That was a lot of hours. Perhaps some hyperbole. It's it's not the high living seven seven twenty five it is now. 
Wow, Ooh. Dad, twice in the same month. <laughs> quite, quite recent here. Yep. Um, Mom hopes I've learned a lesson from all this. Did you? Sure. Whenever you accidentally break someone's window, do the right thing. Run like crazy. <laughs> Mark uh, tells him he brought him something. A hat like yours. The one that mom hates. <laughs> this is a great callback to issue two at the game where going it's a you and your stupid hat. Yeah, she's reading him the riot act for like a whole ton of things and then mentions the stupid hat and his only response is, you don't like the hat? <laughs> good, good work there. Um, so he's, Scotty's like, wait, twice in a week, a hat? Dad, are you going to jail? <laughs> I don't know. My lawyer's doing what he can. I just couldn't take Dirksen's offer. Once you hook up with those guys, they keep you doing their dirty work for the rest of your life. So he's going to stick with his guns and try to do what's right. Says, I'm proud of you, Dad, and I'll always love you, no matter what. Dad, can I have a cigarette, too? <laughs> No, no. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> nice moments uh, there. Some good character stuff. I'm sorry to say, uh, both Mark Hazard and Kickers did not have letters columns. Letters no. pages. No, no next week or next month in Mark Hazard Mark either. So. Yeah, that really just stops, and you're like, is there another page? They probably rushed, worked so hard to get this issue out, they weren't even gonna. Think about what the next one was going to look like. So, yeah, the I think yeah we do start in with a new writer next next issue. But How is it? I think that yeah the the write up we had for this this uh, issue gets pushed back or something. Um, yeah, I mentioned Doug Murray. Kind of a shame. Um, Peter David has been doing great work on this. Um, despite like a couple of things I, I think are a little over the top. Um, the, the character moments, um, overall plotting, very enjoyable uh, part of this uh, series so far. Yeah. Um, it's been a highlight. Um, the art, unfortunately, in this issue, I think it's kind of tanked it a little bit just because, you know, by the end, I can mostly figure out what's going on. But like the panel jumps, the, you know, just even the that whole action scene in the end is just butchered, to be honest. Like, it's just like this cool scene in your head of, you know, terrorists driving a bus full of hostages into the city and Mark opens fire, opens fire and it crashes into a, into a grocery store and, you know, they're taking each other out and like cool stuff. Like that would make an awesome movie action scene. Um, but yeah, we don't, we don't see any of that. Like one page Dirksen's like coming out of the bus, you know, with a gun, the next page, like he's, Laying on, laying on the ground with a gun pulled on him, and we've ne not seen why that happened. You know, it's just like, yeah. where was the other guy? You know, like, like when they, when they stomped the uh, Iram on the bus, who we couldn't even tell if it was Iram or Besk, right? Was the other guy driving still? Did he jump out? Like, you know, like was he just watching the whole thing happen? 
<laughs> while they untied themselves and it's like no it, yeah they, they totally wrecked that action scene i have no clue what was going on in any bit of it yeah it's uh, frustrating so yeah, yeah it's it's too bad yeah because it's, it's a cool setup um it's still a little confusing as to like why he had set up uh mel and you know apparently some other guys you know so face yeah, and there's body a list. number of other mercenaries in addition to Mal. i can only assume is is like another mistake right because his crew is three guys it's distinctly three right so i don't think there's like a bunch of rookies or hangers on or anything like that or you know mercs for hire so i think it's just an error there yeah there might be like a brotherhood of mercs that you like call i don't know since they haven't had their cards taken yeah and i guess mal would have done used the explosives to stop the bus if he'd had more time to think about what he was doing but, um yeah so i don't know yeah but yeah it's 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 i mean i don't i don't know what to tell you but, but so it's a weird, it's a balance between like you know like what happened in the story i liked and the moments with the kid were cool and funny and like the characters were fine um but just like the art kind of tanked it yeah it's uh probably the, not the last time we'll say that about uh, some of the new universe titles but um i don't know marvel's always a little bit more art intensive than dc like dc mm -hmm. would have like a very sort of house style that was a little less um action-packed you know what i mean yeah well i mean most of their characters also were just guys in tights with underpants on the outside and tall boots of varying colors true and uh doing realistic figures and realistic new york and all that yeah, yeah. clothes with wrinkles <laughs> let's see um the, the Yeah, I don't have too much more to go into. I would give it about a C plus um, because of all the art issues. Um, but yeah, I'm still looking forward to to uh, where he goes next. So, oh, I counted up the pages. There's 24 pages of art in story in in Mark Hazard, and there's only 22 in Kickers. Okay, I'm kind of surprised those aren't more consistent. You know. But I guess the story kind of got away from them a bit. Look, wrap it up. Get those pages in. They have one more, but that's got to be it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a big story. A lot happening. Just, you know, same, I had the same problem as you. It's just the, you know, we got a couple pages of good art <laughs> in the book. Uh, but yeah, who knows how many people worked on this? Maybe four. Um, yeah, I would maybe a C. I'll give it a straight C, uh, which doesn't really hurt my enthusiasm for the series because I think the story is good and the direction is good, and I like where it's going for those kind of things. So, um, if uh, if we do have that new writer on five, it'll be interesting to see uh, if there's a big change in 
the characterizations and such, but uh, also, you know, that Claire Burnett, which is supposed to be his friend, the police officer, just lost her husband. <laughs> it seemed like kind of a schlub. So. Yeah, we got in like none of the drama of that. It was like all very like long shots of what was going on as she sort of uh, was holding him or something. So we got could be some significant fallout still to come from that. Yeah, you ruined my career. You got my husband killed. Yeah, I'm trying to look. I love you, Mark Hazard. Yeah. But yeah, kind of focusing on the, the goofy lawyer, <laughs> even though like, you know, that guy's dead. Yeah, I don't know. Like, do we see her at all after that? She kind of disappears. Yeah. The... Yeah, I don't think I. I don't think there's a single panel with Claire in it. Yeah, there's just the like part at um, hazard, hazard, hazard. Um. Yeah, was that her? I think with the orange coat and sort of like with her husband. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> so yeah, but that's all. Uh -oh. Yeah, I can't even I can't even tell what I'm looking at on that scene. Is that the bus looking down? That's what I thought, yeah. Like those are bus seats. Okay. <laughs> Art erg. Yeah. Well. So I guess that's it for this week's episode. Uh, the month. Next time we'll be covering justice number four. Yeah. It had to happen. Justice confronts Damon Conquest, but with his powers cut in half, can he survive the experience? Hmm. Remember, Conquest is not only their last name, it's what they do. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, DP7 number four, when Mastodon is mistaken for a legendary creature of the Northwoods. Oh, that's a hit to the poor man's ego. <laughs> Ouch. The TP7 discover they have to find the real truth behind the legend in order to save their friend. Will their discovery sentence someone else to death? Hmm. That sounds intriguing. Well, it sounds like a, a fill-in issue, but I don't think it is. Yeah. It's, um, well. We'll find out, right? I, what would they call it? What did, the Wampus. Sorry, I didn't. They said the next issue, the Wampus or something. Oh, is that right? This is finally the Wampus. Yeah, yeah. All right, now, I, now I'm excited again. I remember the Wampus. Okay, okay. Well, we'll also see Demon Conquest or Demon Conquest, perhaps. And one-handed justice. Yes. He, yeah, his powers are cut in half because he blew his half hand off. Ouch. <laughs> And uh, I guess until next time, and we'll see you back at the spinner rack. I'm Stephen and Andy for the Marvel New Universe podcast. All right. See you next time.